why I slipped out and let the children escape a while ago. My apologies to anybody that that uh, disrupted. Uh, but Luke's got the copies of the outline, so if you'd like a copy, just lift your hand up and he'll bring you one. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. Kyle, appreciate the little jab. You and Carrie keep me on my toes about how slow we move, but I am okay with it because Jesus said to do it that way. So, ha, joke's on you. <laughs> um, so, to, I just snorted. I don't ever snort, and I snorted in the microphone. You're welcome. For, and that was from Jesus saying, we'll hush and say what I told you to say. So, this morning, we're going we're gonna to kick off. Uh, I, last week, we, we began this section that uh, Matthew calls the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about how Luke calls it the Sermon on the Plain. We looked at a map, and it doesn't matter where the location was. What was important is the intended audience. We talked about how Jesus, these last week and then this week and then the following two messages, are a sermon, this Sermon on the Mount, or the Sermon on the Plain, whichever you prefer to call it, is Jesus teaching the disciples. This is not a message, and, and that was new information for me when I started studying this out. I always assumed that the Sermon on the Mount, that he was on the Mount so a lot of people could hear him, um, and he had been doing some teaching on the mountain, but the, but the focus of this message is for those that are followers of Jesus, his disciples. They were chosen by Jesus, and they in turn chose to follow him. So here's what that means for us. That means that this teaching is also for us people that have chosen to follow Jesus. And so as we are, as we're digging into this over the next couple of weeks, I want us to understand that these messages are for us. This is Jesus talking to the disciples, but it's Jesus talking to us as well. And it, that gets me really excited because I talked about last week about how curiosity makes our brains grow. It makes us uh, want to know more about other things. And for me, this is an opportunity to know Jesus a little bit better because these are the things that he's teaching the men that have chosen to follow him. Remember, these disciples were not professionals. They didn't go to seminary and have degrees or anything like that. They were fishermen, tax collectors, everyday guys. And so I want us to keep that in mind. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get further into the message. Last week, this first message that Jesus talks about was about honor and shame. And we talked about how uh, the world and culture says one set of qualities is honorable and another is shameful, but that's very different from what God considers to be honorable and shameful. And I don't think that people are shocked when you say that God has different ideas about honor and shame than the world does. Like we, you hear that and you go, yes, that makes sense, right? However, we quickly see that difference when we dig into what it means to be blessed by God, by what brings honor to God. Blessedness from a kingdom perspective is defined by God's presence, not the temporary physical things of this world. And we learn that when we face undesirable circumstances, things that the world would call shameful, when we're walking in obedience to God, as we're abiding in Him, we are blessed because we have God's full attention. And as I went back and listened to the message, I wish that I spent a little bit more time kind of unpacking that for us. But I want us to think about what that means. Think about a child that, that feels forgotten about and how meaningful it is when you sit down and you spend one-on-one -on -one time with them, right? Today, uh, I don't remember if it was Kyle or one of y'all in your testimony talked about the fact that you have, Kyle, how the last couple of weeks he has not felt seen and heard. And then when he did feel seen and heard from God as he's spending time with him, how much joy that brought to him, right? When God fully sees us, it changes our hearts about ourselves and towards the world and specifically towards God when we are fully seen. And that's what it means to be blessed. And the inverse 
of that, the disciples are warned against things that bring shame. In the world, shame is defined by being less than or having less than others. And in the kingdom, shame is not about those things. Shame is brought on when we focus only on ourselves. Through Jesus' life and ministry, we see his entire focus was on God and on other people. His life was the fulfillment of the two greatest commands, to love God and to love others. That's what his whole life revolved around. And in his sermon to his disciples, Jesus articulates that our actions perfection does not achieve closeness to God. That's his point, is that the, the practice of trying to be perfect is not what makes us closer to God. In fact, it drives us further away from God. Closeness to God is the results of abiding in Him and loving others as God loves Him. So let's read today's passage, and we're going to discover what that looks like for us in our everyday lives. So let's look, Luke chapter 6, we're going to read verses 27 through 36. It says, But I say to you who listen, love your enemies and do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the children of the Most High, for He is gracious to ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. You know, the heart of today's message, and this is the main point for today, the heart of today's message and Jesus' sermon to the disciples, this message that he's preaching, is the need for love. We're going to discuss this more in depth when we get to this part of Jesus' story, but Jesus gives, this, gives his disciples a new command just before his death. It's recorded in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This idea was popularized in the 1960s, uh, probably just before Trading My Sorrows came out. Um, It's a song called uh, um, They Will Know We're Christians by Our Love. Raise your hand if you've heard and sung that song before, right? It used to be in a lot of the hymnals. But the the, the words are, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored and they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will work with each other. We will work side by side and we'll guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know that we are Christians by our love. Jesus is trying to redefine for these men what it means to be a follower of God, to be a disciple, to be a believer. The most basic characteristic of God is love. And the same should be true of his children. That's us. We are the sons and the daughters of God, and our character should reflect that of our Father. 
This sermon's goal for the disciples is to help them understand God's love toward all people. Jesus begins this section with some incredibly challenging commands. He says, the importance of these, or one of my, my commentators said, the importance of these commands is evident and that they are Jesus' first direct commands in the gospel. I did not know that. This is the first direct commands that Jesus gives in Luke's gospel. There's four specific ones that he gives, and we're going we're gonna to break these down as we move through the message today, but to, to list them out in the beginning. It's to love your enemies, to do good for your enemies, to bless your enemies, and to pray for your enemies. Before we go any further, can we all agree that that is an incredibly hard thing to do? Yeah. Amen? Amen? Very difficult, okay? These are commands that are given in just the first two verses of this section. I want to I read them again. I want to focus in on this for just a minute. It says, but I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Defining some words in these commands is going to be important for us to understand what Jesus is trying to communicate, okay? Because I don't know about you, but this is not the kind of thing that I want to misunderstand. If, if Jesus is telling me to love, what kind of love is he talking about? What does that look like? So I got, and I got a couple of slides up there. I'm not going to try to pronounce these today because it's too much, but I want us to see something. To love, this comes from a word that we're familiar with, agape, is the root of this word. And it means, uh, in terms of care, to have great affection or care for, or loyalty towards someone. Or, in a Christian sense, it means to have a strong, non-carnal affection and love for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized, listen to this, especially characterized by a willing uh, forfeiture of rights or privileges on another person's behalf. Being willing to give up your own rights on someone, for someone else's behalf. The love Jesus refers to puts uh, the other person's well-being before our own. This kind of love is not often expressed or experienced in our world today. Look, even in the best of relationships, there are moments of selfishness that pop up. They seemingly come from nowhere, right? If you've been in a long-term relationship of any kind, you've experienced that, both from, your, from the person you're in a relationship with, but mostly from yourself. I don't know about you guys, but often that, that selfishness rears its ugly head up and I got to smack it down because I don't want to be that guy, right? But it happens in all of us. That's why it's paramount that we understand that this kind of love cannot happen apart from God's presence, right? The other word that we need to define is enemy. Who falls under that category? Because if we're honest, like what would be easy is for us to define enemy in a way that makes this easier, Right? But what does is, what is Jesus mean by this? Let's look at some more words, okay? From the Hebrew perspective, this word means a personal enemy, okay? Or excuse me, from the Greek, is a personal enemy. So it's someone, but you and someone else. The Hebrew equivalent means enemy in a warfare sense. And if you look at it in Aramaic, it means, which by the way was the language that Jesus spoke. In Aramaic, it means adversary, foe, or a political or military enemy, so whether you're using the Greek word, the Hebrew, or the Aramaic form, the meaning is quite obvious. Jesus is talking about loving someone so opposed to you that they are willing to go to literal war against you and your people. They are willing to kill you and your people. Those are the people that Jesus is telling us to love. 
Let's take a moment and kind of marinate in that. Jesus is telling his disciples, those that want to kill you and the ones that you love, I want you to love them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to bless them. I'll be the first to admit that does not seem right, does it? Surely this isn't what Jesus meant to say. Surely there is a a place in the kingdom for justice, right? There is. The problem is we want to be in the middle of that justice. But the justice happens between the one who has done the offense and the one that they have offended. And we are not in that equation. They've not offended you. They have offended God. You might be wondering, how could Jesus ask that? of anyone how could how could I stand up here and say love those who want to kill you and your family but I'm not the one that's saying it that's why I want us to look at these words I want us to understand that Jesus is not saying yeah I love people that you don't like a whole lot he's saying love people that that hate you consider for a moment the life that Jesus lived consider that Jesus was ridiculed tortured and crucified for crimes that he did not commit and he knew that was coming and so he's not teaching the disciples and saying hey here's a thing I think might be a good idea it might be good for the world if we live in this way Jesus is teaching from a place where he knows what's coming for him and in knowing that in knowing that he is going to have to love people that want to kill him he's telling his disciples if you will be if you want to be my follower Love those who hate you. Jesus is telling his followers, he's telling his disciples that we are not only recipients of his love and mercy, but we are to freely give that love and mercy to those that hate us just like he did. Verse 27 and 28 again, but I say to you who listen, I say to you who listen, Love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus doesn't just give us these commands with no explanation, right? He gives us the commands and he gives us some examples of what that looks like. So let's talk about what it means to love our enemies. Look at verse 29 with me. He says, if anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. Now that's not a new command. This is not a new idea that Jesus is teaching. This idea is introduced in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. It says, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus is taking the idea of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself and he is bringing stinging clarity. See what I did there? Slap slap my face. He's bringing stinging clarity to what it means from God's perspective. And then we know that there are Old Testament laws for justice, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Like that's in Scripture. But what Jesus is helping us to understand here is that we should, that, that th- those things are the bare minimum, right? What's greater is to be more concerned with the other person's heart than you are for yourself. This is not so much about passivity in the face of evil. It's about concern for the other person and what has led them to that action. It's about looking beyond the offense at the reason behind it. In verse 29, Jesus also speaks to someone who takes away your coat. Or, and he adds that we should 
not only allow them to do that, but give them our shirt as well. In verse 29, the, the second half of that, he said, and if anyone takes your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. The language here is legal in sense. And taking a person's coat would have been a legal offense because it was considered necessary for survival. Okay, it's important for us to understand. Jesus is not saying if they take your favorite coat, but you got another one for backup, just let them have it. He's saying if they take the thing that you need to survive, give them more on top of that. Do you see how upside down this seems when we think about our culture and what we think about justice and what we think that we deserve? In this example, there's this implied thought that if the person takes it, they must need it. And if they need your coat, give them the shirt too so that they're not without it. And the second thing he says is to do good to your enemies. In verse 30 through 31, he says, give to everyone who asks of you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. This is where the golden rule, as we've heard, is derived from. In the kingdom, God asks us to treat our enemies equally or better than we are willing to even treat ourselves. That's an upside down kingdom. And let's continue to be honest with ourselves. This is going to be an incredibly difficult thing for us to do. This does not come naturally. What do you have to tell toddlers to do with their toys every day, all day? To share. Because they don't want to, right? Because that sin nature that we're born with. This is something, again, that we cannot do apart from God's presence. It can only happen when we're abiding in Him. Look at one of my commentaries pointed out, though. It says, the golden rule is essentially another way of saying... Love your neighbor, and as the following verse clearly show, this love for one's neighbor, which involves doing, not feeling, goes beyond simple reciprocatory toward one's friend. I love that phrase that love involves doing, not feeling. Now, we've been talking about this month in the kids' stuff about how God is there in our feelings, and I want you to hear me say it is okay to express to God how you feel but how you feel should not determine how you act. Jesus is not saying to the disciples, if you feel like it, love your enemies. He's saying, love your enemies. Love can transform our actions from doing to feeling if we will allow it to, but feeling is not required for us to begin loving. When we think about loving as Jesus tells us to, we need to realize that loving someone in this way is a choice, and it often does not start from a feeling, or it might have a feeling, but it ain't love that you're feeling. You feel me? Yeah? Everybody here? Amen? Remember what Jesus has done for all of humanity. While we are still living in sin and in rebellion, God sent his son Jesus to live sacrificially so that we could know the love of God. Paul points out in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, we know this verse, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. God blessed us with the opportunity for redemption. He did not leave us dead in our sins. He blessed us. And in response to that blessing from God, we should do the same for others. This is point number three, is that we are to bless our enemies. Look at verse 32. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. The intention is that God will reveal himself through his people when we go above and beyond what the world expects. Again, they will know that we are believers by our love. 
What greater blessing could we bestow upon someone than to show them the same love that the Father has shown us? That while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. That while they were yet hating us, we loved them. God is telling his disciples to live with the same kind of generosity that God has. Look at verse 33 through 36. He says, if you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for He is gracious to, listen to this, for He is gracious to the ungrateful and to the evil. He is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. That, that, that was us. That is still sometimes us. And He is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful just as your Father is also merciful. When Jesus taught this to his disciples, he was with them. He lived this out in real time in front of their eyes every day. Every time he interacted with somebody who stood in opposition to him, he lived this out in front of them. We have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us to guide us into this living and loving that Jesus role modeled for the disciples. We will not be able to do this in our own power. Amen? We will not be able to do this in our own power. It must begin with what? What does Jesus tell us to do at the very end of that? To pray. We pray for our enemies. When we pray for others, the first thing that is going to happen is a change in our own heart towards that person. Did you know that that would happen? That when we're struggling with someone, if we will pray for them, the first thing that happens was probably most likely 99% of the time will not be that they change first. The first thing that's going to happen is God is going to change our hearts towards that person. And most of the time when that happens, that begins almost immediately to resolve the conflict. Because what we begin to see is that our desire for justice, whatever that looks like in that circumstance, is not greater than God's desire to love that person. That interaction with God on the other person's behalf allows God to let us see that person the way that God sees them, and the way that God sees us. As we abide in Jesus, our hearts are transformed by His, and we start to see that person in a new light. Another commentary that I was reading this week said, Luke's readers, just as Jesus' disciples are to love their neighbors regardless of whether they are friends or enemies, whereas feeling positivity towards one of the enemies and liking them are indeed impossible at times. Luke helps us to understand that we can love our enemies by willing good toward them, by doing good in return for evil, by blessing instead of cursing, and by praying for them. Often even the ability to will good for one's enemies may seem impossible, but Luke believed that the same spirit who empowered Jesus dwells in believers and can empower them to choose love for their enemies. Thus, Pentecost keeps us from being simply an impossible ideal. This commentator is saying that the same spirit that lived in Jesus, that gave him the power to love his enemies, lives in us. He, the spirit came down at Pentecost. Scripture says that that spirit, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, that that same spirit lives in us. Remember, Jesus said, these things that I do, you will do, and even greater things. To love our enemies is not an impossible task. I had a, a pastor friend of mine who said recently that when God has called us to do something, we don't do that passively. 
There is a role that we play in that, and the role is for us to say, yes, Jesus, I am willing, but I am weak. We cannot look at a passage like this and say, yes, that is a good idea. One day, maybe I will be there. What Jesus expects of the disciples, what he expects of us, is to read this and go, first of all, I cannot do that. And he says, I know. And second of all, I need your spirit in me. And he says, yes, I know. The idea of living and being willing to give as any person has need is at the heart of Jesus' ministry. It is the heart of the church, the New Testament church, the willingness to give up everything for others, the same willingness that the disciples left everything, right? Remember Peter, the fisherman, who Jesus goes out and they catch this huge amount of fish and they pull it in and it's trying to sink the boat and they had to call people in and they, they get back to the shore and it's the greatest catch of fish they've ever seen in their lives as professional fishermen. And Jesus says, leave everything and follow me. And they walked away. That's the willingness that Jesus is calling us to. To say, but God, I, I, it's not that I don't like this person. It's I cannot tolerate them in my life. And Jesus says, leave everything and follow me. We cannot mistake the life that Jesus has called us to with what the world calls a Christian life. We are not called to be comfortable we are, and to look out for ourselves. That's not what Scripture teaches. Jesus has taught us in his word, he taught the disciples to live sacrificially for the sake of other people. By living this way, we can reveal the love that God has to others and share the good news that Jesus gave up everything so that his people can be redeemed. Consider Paul's words to the church in Rome regarding their conduct with others. He said, love, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil and cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer and share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to, what, to, to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it, was, it is written, vengeance belongs to me and I will pay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give something to drink. For, and I love this, for in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals upon his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Church, we got two options after hearing these words of Jesus. One, we can live according to the world and pretend that we're something that we're not. Because if, if we live in opposition to what Jesus says here and we wave the Christian flag, we're just pretending. Or, as Paul would say, being conquered by evil. That's what that looks like. The second thing we can do is we can follow Jesus' lead and live a life that is worthy of his name. God has put 
us in places where we work, where we play, where we live, so that we can reveal His mercy and His grace and His love. Those people won't hear the gospel if we're focused on ourselves and our own comfort. We'll say that again. The people that God has put in our lives will not hear the gospel if our focus is on our own comfort. They will not experience the love of God. But if we live as Jesus has taught us to live, they will not only experience God's love, but they will come to know that love firsthand for themselves as they experience it through you. God has asked us, his sons and daughters, to take up our crosses and follow Jesus. And one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for what we have accomplished here on this earth while we were here. Matthew records Jesus' teaching on this in chapter 25. I want to read this and we're going to close up. But I want us to see what's going to happen when we die. This is, this is good to help frame this conversation. So says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he'll say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. They too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. If you follow Jesus in every meaning of that word to follow, if you were to be a disciple of Jesus, the kind of life that he is describing, where we, what we just read in Luke chapter 6, it is not optional. We live in a culture that says that it is. That we can take this book and we can pick out the stuff that makes us feel good and do that and the rest of it, don't worry about it. Jesus paints a very, very different picture in Matthew chapter 25. If we're representatives of the kingdom of God, we must honestly represent that kingdom, not our own kingdom. Sadly, there are thousands of people in church today, both lay and in leadership, who are going to get that second response from Jesus. He's going to say to those, depart from me because I know you not. Church, just because you put a fish on the back of your car or you go to church a lot, does not mean that you're a follower of Jesus. Our actions show the true nature of our heart. I'm not saying that if you have ever done anything that was wrong in your life that you're not saved. This is not a works-based gospel. 
Scripture is super clear about that. We are saved by God's grace alone, not by our actions. But it does say, Jesus does say, that if we are his disciples, if we are going to follow him, this is how we will act. Not we should act. But if we are truly following Jesus, learning from him, our hearts, our lives are going to be made just like his. The beauty of this whole thing. So we hear that. We, hear, we, see, we see the picture that Jesus is painting of loving our enemies, of doing good for our enemies, for blessing our enemies, for praying our enemies. We see that picture and we think to ourselves, there's no way I can do that. And I want us to be encouraged by the fact that Jesus chose 12 ordinary, broken men and said, follow me. Jesus chose Peter, a fisherman who was quick-tongued. He was quick to speak and slow to listen. Cut a dude's ear off, right? trying to defend Jesus. And Jesus said, you're Peter, the rock, and upon you I will build my church. God took a guy, Paul, whose name was Saul, who persecuted the church, who killed Christians, who stood by and held the coats of men who stoned Stephen, the first Christian martyr, to death. He took that guy, that murderous guy, and he used him to build the church. Our encouragement comes from, Jesus is not asking us to do this in our own power. We cannot, we will not. He's asking us to abide in him, to let him do it through us. Now, Lord, remind us, as followers of Jesus, this is what we signed up for. You may not have known it when it happened, but this is what we signed up for. When we give our lives to Jesus, when he, we ask him to be the Lord of our lives, to, to have a Lord means that you submit yourself to the wishes of the Lord. That's what it means. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We are the sons and daughters of the living king, the ones chosen to represent the kingdom. And as such, we must honestly do that. If we submit to Jesus by following his teachings, he will do amazing things throughout our lives. Through this body of Christ, we can and will change the world as we love as Jesus loved people. That's the picture that I want us to walk away from with today. That's why Jesus is teaching his disciples this way. is because he wants them to understand that they have, through the Holy Spirit, the power to change the world. Church, we have that same power, that same Spirit lives in us. All we have to do is to say, I am willing to do what you asked me to do. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful for your love for us that while we were yet sinners, you chose out of your love to come and to live and to die, to be the sacrifice for the sins that we committed. Father, I ask that as we let this marinate in our hearts today and this week, Father, I ask that your spirit would do a work in each of us wherever we are within our relationship with you. Father, whatever that's going to look like for each of us in our lives, Father, I ask that it would be your spirit that prompts it not guilt or shame or anything like that. But Father, it would be your spirit that guides us to understand what this means for each of us personally. And Father, that as we're thinking about those people in our lives that we might consider an enemy, Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts towards those people and that you would give us opportunities to begin with prayer 
and opportunities to do good for that person, to bless them. Jesus, we, we ask this humbly, knowing that we are incapable of doing this in our own power. And we ask this in your name, by your word.